Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Are you someone on the spectrum who has trouble keeping friends or keeping relationships or even just finding friends or finding that certain someone? Well, my next guest, Jeremy and Lana, are relationship coaches and friendship coaches. They help those of you out there who have ASD find friends and keep them and find a relationship and keep it. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today I'm joined with Jeremy and Lana, who are relationship advisors. Welcome to the show, Jeremy and Lana. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you why don't we start off with the two of you telling me a little bit about yourselves and how you got into what you're doing today? Sure. Um, so I was a special education teacher in the New York City Department of Ed for 16 years and um, worked with kids on the spectrum, kids with different learning challenges. And um, Jeremy, I met Jeremy and he invited me into the community of our are now clients. And as I like to say, I never left because I just fell in love with the community and being able to watch our clients succeed socially has just been the most meaningful thing to me. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah, I, I thought it was really important to bring on somebody like Alana because, you know, we do a lot of work around dating and to have, um, a male and female perspective is really helpful to our clients. But Alana and I also bring different energies and different skills. So as Alana said, she was a, a special educator for 16 years in New York. So she has a, a real teaching background. And my background is very different. Um, you know, I've been coaching people on the spectrum for over 13 years now, but my background is as a lawyer. Mm. And, um, you know, I bring a, a, a very um, forward, you know, uh, energy to the work that I do. And, uh, and so our, our clients get a really nice balance of two perspectives. And so then the question people always have is like, how do you go from being a lawyer to being a friendship and dating coach in the autism community? And I like to tell people they're actually not very different from each other, right? When you think about, uh, a courtroom lawyer, which I was, I was a prosecutor and a litigator. Um, you think about a Sam Waterston type. What you think about is somebody who tells a good story, projects confidence, asks good questions, is a good listener, right? That's, that's what you see when you watch Law and Order. And it just so happens that those are friendship and dating skills, right? So, so my, my saying has always been, there's not a whole lot of difference between winning over a jury of 12 and win, winning over a jury of one. And so in many ways, the skills that I teach people in our program are human skills, but also lawyer skills, right? how to tell a story, how to ask good questions, how to listen, how to give dynamic answers. 
But what's really, really cool is that we do it in a way that I think very few people, maybe nobody else does, which is we take these human skills and we break them down into formulas and into schematic diagrams. Um, so we're not just telling our clients what to do, we're, we're helping them digest the skills in a way that their brain uh, can really uh, sort of wrap its head around. <laughs> Very good. Very interesting. No one would ever see it that way. I mean, a lawyer entering into the world of autism and helping with relationships, that is such a diverse background you have. I mean, to bring those skills. And Lana, I'm sure you've seen a lot dealing, being a teacher in special ed, dealing with all the autistics. Definitely. Now, have you seen the hard side of it where you're dealing with teachers who don't know how to deal with those who are autistic. Absolutely. I, I truly believe that every teacher going through education programs, master's programs need to have a special education background mm -hmm. because no matter what, if you're in a general education classroom, you're going to be dealing with kids with learning differences on the mm -hmm. spectrum and everybody should be trained. And unfortunately that's not the case. Um, and there's not enough support for those, those mm -hmm. kids that need that extra help. Um, but I really believe that every teacher should have some special, special education training. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me, um, I've talked with so many people around the world. And the one thing, the one thing I'm advocating for is the fact that we don't have the resources that other countries have. I mean, you look at Australia, they're huge when it with the autism support. We lack these resources and we need to push to get those resources so that teachers are taught better. So teachers can help with relationships and friendships and talk to these kids like they're people. And I'm pretty Absolutely. sure you agree too, Jeremy. A hundred percent. You know, one thing that I've learned in the 13 years serving the autism population is that so many of the behaviors that neurotypicals look at and say, you know, these are negative, right? Like mm -hmm. are just born out of frustration on the part of someone on the spectrum, right? It's, it, it just comes from a place of I'm not being understood. And what I've learned over the last 13 years coaching in the autism community is that the lack of understanding is in large part because neurotypical people, including neurotypical teachers, don't know how to connect with the brain of someone who's autistic, right? No, someone who's autistic, for the most, mo almost everybody can communicate and they can communicate in some way. Maybe it's, maybe it's their own way, but it requires the other person, the teacher, the neurotypical to take a, to take some time and say, okay, how are they trying to communicate with me? And there's going to be a gap, right? There's going to be a gap between how an autistic person communicates and how the teacher or how the neurotypical is used to, to communicating. But bridging that gap is really important. And what I think a lot of is saying is that, you know, not enough teachers are getting training on how to bridge that gap in communication so that so that the neurotypical teacher can say, okay, I can sense that you're frustrated. I can sense that something's going wrong. What's happening? Let's try Let's try to fix this. All right. Now let's get into it. How did the two of you actually meet? 
Uh, so I was the best man at uh, my best friend's wedding. And Alana was a very, very close friend of my best friend's now wife. And uh, of all the people who came up to me at the <laughs> wedding, Alana was the one who didn't. Oh, so wow. we were actually set up, um, a f- you know, months later. And um, and uh, what's really, really interesting, Reed, is that Alana and I lived 3,000 miles apart. I, I I was living in, I, I live in in California. Alana lived in uh, you know in Manhattan in New York City. We were three thousand miles apart, and I think that it was the best thing that could ever happen to us because you know what happens in in so many relationships is that two people meet each other, and you know things just get really physical really quickly. Um, and aside from the physical, I would even say just you end up doing things kind of in parallel, like sitting on the couch watching Netflix and, you know, eating dinner together. So you're not, you don't have that communication. Yeah. So I would agree with that. And, you know, especially I would say in the the autism community, maybe physicality uh, doesn't come so fast or not in the same way. But the the point that I was trying to make, Reed, is that being 3000 miles apart, the only thing that we could do together was talk. And so, you know, Alana and I spent months just talking with each other every day, every night. Um, And we got to learn each other's souls. But what was really important for us was talking for months and months and months before we met also meant that we had a method of communication, right? So we were... We just talked about this before, right? Different people's brains communicate differently. Mm-hmm. Well, because we we didn't have the option of just watching TV together or just eating together, we had to learn how each other's brain works and we had to connect our two brains. And we were able to do that because we were 3,000 miles away. Yeah. Now, how did the idea come up for the two of you to help those with on the spectrum with um, dating and finding friendships? So that's a great question. Um, and the truth is, like, I I was not going out into the world looking to serve the autism community. I say this very humbly. I had a complete and total misunderstanding of what autism meant mm. back before I started this. I have a family member who is on the spectrum. He, he lives in assisted living. You know, he he has the... Uh, the communication ability of a young child, right? He has the emotional capability of a young child. Um, and, and for me growing up, that was what my conception was of autism, right? It, it, it's just, uh, it was a very limited understanding of autism. And then let's call it 15, 16 years ago. Um, I started a, a, an organization in New York city that aimed to bring together, um, you know, Jewish young adults. And what I found was that a lot of the people who were coming to our events, and we're talking like 150 people at a time, were really socially awkward. They were coming to feel community. They were coming to to find dates, but they were really socially awkward. And a few friends of mine uh, who were in that community said, hey, Jeremy, like, can you can you help us? Like you walk into an event by yourself and you walk out with like a with a crew. What are you doing that we're not? And the honest truth was, I said, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I'm just being me. And they said, well, teach us. And, um, and I didn't, at least not right away. I, um, 
I spent three years really learning the science of what makes people drawn to each other. And in fact, many, you know, many of the books that you can see behind me right now, because, you know, you and I are on Zoom, you can see some of these books that, that I read to really get an understanding of what makes human beings connect with each other. And then like three years later, I went to the, to the Jewish Community Center in Manhattan and I said, hey, I'd like to put on a, a workshop for, uh, for singles, uh, you know, to help them connect better. And they said, Jeremy, do we have to pay you? <laughs> and I said, no. And they said, great, let's do it. Um, and so and so I started putting on these really innovative dating workshops. Uh, they were like nothing else anybody had ever seen uh, because I was not only teaching men and women the science of how to be more magnetic to each other, but then I was also uh, bringing them together and coaching them in real time as they were interacting with each other. People love that. What I, what I, I didn't know at the time was that uh, the JCC also hosted three organizations for people with special needs. Mm. And all three of them were knowingly or unknowingly sending people to these workshops that I was doing, which was for everybody. I wasn't doing them in particular for the neurodivergent community. And so I had all these neurodivergent people coming to my workshop and, and, and then the organization started hearing about it. And they said, well, why don't you come do workshops for us? Uh, and so I did. I started doing workshops for for organizations that specialize in helping people with special needs. And, and one of the big ones was adaptations uh, at the Silver Center for Special Needs. And I remember the first time that I did a workshop for adaptations, um, Allison Kleinman at the time was the executive director. And, you know, we, we did a workshop and, you know, people were just kind of staring into space and they were on their phones and, and, and doing their own thing. And at the end of it, I, I went to, to Allison's office and I said, Allison, what a spectacular failure this was. And she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, no one was paying attention to me. I was talking to people who were staring at their phones, staring at the ceiling. And she said something to me to the effect of, Jeremy, you are used to standing in front of a jury. And when you talk to a jury, the jury looks at you. And when you walk, the jury tracks you. And that's what you're used to. That's what paying attention looks like to you. The neurodivergent brain does not pay attention mm -hmm. that way. The autistic brain does not pay attention that way. And by the way, they loved you. And just so you know, Reed, I became the in-house friendship and dating coach for, uh, for adaptations. And I stayed for, uh, I think, over three years. And it was just a wonderful experience where, quite, quite honestly, the autistic community and the neurodivergent community taught me more than I taught them, but it was a really wonderful experience. And, and 13 years later, this is all I do day and night. I'd love to introduce you to, to, uh, I talked with what, I don't know if you listened to any of my shows, but a while back I did an after dark four part session. And one of the people I talked to was a woman who ran a dating clinic out in Malta. In Malta. Yeah. And she helped and they talk about everything from what to do on the first date. And when they come back, they talk about and they talk about their experiences and everything. So she and they even had the whole YouTube session thing on YouTube about it. And that brings me to my next question. Why do you think those of us who have ASD have trouble maintaining a friendship or a relationship? Everyone's different, Reed. Everyone on the spectrum is different. Everyone has different strengths. Everyone has different challenges. Our clients come to us with a variety of reasons that they tell us they're having trouble connecting. Some people 
aren't connecting with others because they don't know where to go to find their tribe. Others just have too much anxiety, too much fear of rejection to, to meet new people or to really open themselves up. Some people really struggle with the conversation aspect. Some people really struggle with the confidence to ask someone to hang out with them. There are just so many reasons why a human being, not just a person with, with ASD, there's so many reasons why a human being will struggle to connect. And our job as coaches is to understand why are you struggling to connect and what can we do about that, right? What are the steps that we can take to get you unstuck with what's keeping you stuck right now? All right. What methods do you use to help those of us on the spectrum deal with finding a solid relationship or a solid friendship? The very first thing, Reed, that that I think people need to do is work on their confidence. Mm. Okay? And, there, and there's a reason why. All the strategy in the world means nothing if you don't have the confidence to go out into the world and meet people and use it. You can get a PhD in social skills. You can get a PhD in dating skills. But unless you have the confidence to take that knowledge and go out into the world and use it on real people, that PhD means absolutely nothing. And so everything that we do starts with having the confidence to go out into the world and bring your light and your love and your goodness to other people. Then we can get started on strategy. But everything starts with confidence and then knowing what you're looking for and then having a strategy for going out into the world and finding what you're looking for and using the skills that you've been developing. All right. Now, I'm pretty sure one of the main things you teach those of us on the spectrum is that friendship always comes first. Am I right? I mean, because you can you can have somebody who's on the spectrum come up to you and say, I want a relationship. And I'm pretty sure you tell them you can't have a relationship unless you have a friendship first. Yeah, look, there, there are nine billion people in the world or something like that. Right. There are always going to be exceptions to the rule where someone has a a, a, a partner or a husband or a wife and no friends, right? I'm not going to pretend that there isn't. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, that uh, I've learned over the years talking with other people who are more expert than I am is that there are three elements to a friendship, okay? So let's start with that, right? Element number one, you share a common interest or a passion or a, or a hobby, right? But you share some, some common thing that you both enjoy, Okay. Element number two is mutual respect for each other, right? You love them for who they are. They love you for who you are. You can be your genuine self around them. They can be your genuine self around you. That's important to a friendship. And then element uh, number three is that you put in roughly equal energy, which means, you know, you're not the one who's always calling them to hang out, right? They put in some effort too. And granted, not everyone's going to put in equal effort all the time. Sometimes friendships do get lopsided because someone is having a hard time. That's fine. But over time, you both want to feel that you've both put in the effort, right? So that's a friendship. Now, what is a relationship? Well, it's the same three things plus physical attraction and intimate touch, right? And intimate touch is different for different people. 
physical attraction is different for different people. But those five things are what a relationship is built on. And three of those are friendship skills, right? So how do you have a relationship that is going to be successful in the long term if you haven't worked on the skills to be a good friend first? Because friendship is three elements. Mm -hmm. And a relationship is those three plus the additional two of attraction and touch. I don't see how you can have a solid, successful, long-term relationship, romantic relationship, without learning how to be a friend first. That's my opinion. And that reminds me of a story. I mean, I have a really good friend I met online who's got who's autistic like me. And I became friends with both him and his boyfriend. And one day his boyfriend comes comes to me. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm going to kill him. I'm like, why? What's wrong? He's like, everything he does, he only does for me. He copies me every step of the way. And I feel like I'm suffocating. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let me talk to him. Don't break up with him. Let me see what I can do. I talk with my friend and I'm like, listen, you got to be your own person. Otherwise, he's carrying this relationship 100% and it's too much weight on him. You got to make up your own mind. You got to do your own thing. I said, and I went back to his boyfriend. And I'm like, listen, here's what I want you guys to do. Take a break from each other. Take a, at least a month break apart. Let me work with him and build his confidence up and get him to the point where he can do things on his own without copying everything. And they did. And they're much more happier together now. Oh, that's a wonderful story. So nice. And I'm still working with him because he still has a lack of confidence and self-esteem. I'm like, one of the problems he does is he'll put photos up on Facebook of himself. And I'm like, for self-gratification, I'm like, you can't do that. You're just enabling yourself. The, the love has to come from the inside. You got to be happy with what's inside first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love someone else. I'm like, you need to be happy with yourself before you can be happy anywhere else. Preach that. Yes. Preach that. That is, that is I mean, the truth. This is what I've been taught is before you even look for a relationship, you got to be happy with yourself. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things I know in any relationship is finding that happiness within. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have nothing to add to that. You said yeah. it better than I could. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you guys have any success stories you can share? Oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> look, people ask me, you know, how did you make the the, the decision to go from being a, a, a lawyer to an autism coach, right? And, you know, it's not I an easy decision, jump. right? I, 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 I was in-house counsel at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. You know, I had a great job and I loved what I did and I got paid handsomely for it. And people ask like, how, you know, how do you leave corporate law and, and just, and do what I do. And I said, look, I had a client who uh, really struggled to afford me, right? He struggled to afford my services, but he was resourceful and he pieced it together and he came and worked with me and he worked really hard and um and and that client ultimately uh got married and you know he thought he would never get married he was 
unemployed or underemployed, had lost one parent, the other parent was, you know, was not particularly healthy and, uh, and certainly not very well to do. And, um, and my client was like, uh, really struggled with the idea, like, is there somebody out there for me? Can I, you know, can I find happiness, but you work really hard at it. And what was really interesting was it was, it was a very religious wedding, very religious mm. Jewish wedding. And, at a Jewish wedding, they have a marital canopy called a, a, chuppah, chuppah. a chuppah. I'm Jewish. And, okay, so, you know, <laughs> your listeners yeah. may not be. Uh, but, and, and, you know, the bride and groom get married under the, under the marital canopy, under the chuppah. And at this particular wedding, all, you know, the, under, the, under the chuppah, under the marital canopy, a bride and groom are given seven blessings. Okay. Um, and that's the tradition, right? In the Jewish tradition, you give seven blessings. And six of those blessings were, were delivered to the bride and groom by very, very religious rabbis, right? <laughs> like black hat, you know, the payas, right? The, 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 the side locks, like very religious individuals gave six of the, of the seven blessings. And the other was me. And I looked out at this crowd of people who were, you know, assembled on a, I think it was a Sunday. And, um, and I said to myself, you know, if not for the work that I do, these people wouldn't be here. Now, granted, my client put in the effort, right? And ultimately, he had to be the one to take charge of his life. But my client relied on me. And, you know, even 10 years now, we've been, this was 10 years ago that I started working with this client. Even to this day, he reaches out to me every couple of weeks and, and just says hi and thanks me and, and, and all that stuff. But I was at this wedding and I'm, I'm, I'm on the, the stage, whatever you call it. And I'm looking at these people. I'm like, I, I need to, I need to look back on my life one day, Reed. I need to look back on my life and count the number of weddings that I'm responsible for, not the number of trials that I've won. Mm. And that was the beginning of me saying to myself, I need to figure out a path to being a full-time coach in the, in the autism community and a zero-time lawyer. <laughs> and it took me a few years because I, you know, I, I had a wife, I have, I have two kids. Um, it's not easy leaving a corporate legal job with the corporate legal salary and, and coaching full-time, but here I am. I did it. I was committed to my purpose in life, and I did it. I'm very proud of you. Thanks. And I'm proud of my, I'm proud of our clients because they do incredible things. They inspire us every day. It's just unbelievable what they, what they accomplish. I know. I mean, I see, I see what we struggle with. And I mean, I don't have half of that. I have like more confidence than most, but I see what the other half deals with and the confidence and everything else. And it's a struggle when you deal with your own self-confidence, you always self have self-doubt and you go, you're always thinking to yourself, is she going to say yes? Is she going to like me? And then you kind of back yourself into a corner and you, you just say, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Or even with yeah. friendships, you're afraid to approach people to become friends because you don't, you're afraid they're not going to accept you. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's paralyzing. The fear of rejection is paralyzing. I mean, I've had that feeling all through high school, but I was confident in myself. I knew that I 
could do it. I mean, I've had girlfriends before, and so it's just a matter of time for me. We love now, hearing that. Now, what is a typical day like for the two of you? <laughs> uh, I wake up at, uh, at you know, like seven, well, after seven. And the very first thing I do is I spend just a couple moments thinking about what I want my day to look like, what success looks like for me, um, you know, how I'm going to get through the day um, while being the best I can be for my clients. And then before I even get out of bed, before I even throw off the covers, I open my email and I see, you know, what questions did my clients ask overnight? Um, because the wonderful thing about our program is that our clients can ask us questions and get coaching pretty much every day, right? As long as we're awake and, uh, you know, we're not in a meeting or I'm not with my kids, our clients, you know, can, can get coaching from us because that's what we feel is the, is the difference between success and failure, right? It's having a mentor who can really be there by your side. So I, I look at I look at my emails. Uh, I, I I get a sense of what questions my clients are having that day, and then I start thinking about okay, what do I want to answer? Um, and then I get out of bed. I uh, I get my kids uh, fed and clothed because they are young, and I get them off to school. And then Alana and I work you know, basically until 10, 11 o'clock every night. And it's a combination of things. Uh, we have calls with prospective clients. We call those strategy sessions. They are free and they take about 90 minutes. So they're, they're, it's a pretty substantial chunk of our day. And we talk with, you know, an autistic adult and their parents together. And we get an, an understanding of, you know, what do they want their social life to look like? Where are they mm -hmm. getting stuck? And what's the path forward? And if they want to work with us, great. And if they don't, that's fine too. So we do, we do a lot of those. We do a lot of coaching our clients. So we get together with them on, on Zoom or we answer their emails and we do, and we do a lot of networking with other um, autism practitioners. Because one of the things that we've seen in the autism world is that it's very siloed, right? The therapists talk to therapists, the coaches talk to coaches, the nonprofits don't talk to each other for the most part, right? Everyone sort of has his or her or their own niche, and there's very little communication, you know, uh, amongst each other. And so, you know, Alana and I get a lot of emails from families and from people on the spectrum who are looking for help. And it's not the kind of help that we provide. And because we are, you know, we are, we lead with our heart. The last thing we want to do is, you know, send an email back or get off the phone with the family and say, Hey, like too bad. So sad. We don't have anything for you. So Alana and I spend, I would say probably two hours a day, sometimes even more just meeting with other practitioners in the autism space, understanding what they do so that we can help them, you know, we can help families get to the right resources. We can help individuals get to the right resources. And so they know about us because no one else in the world does what we do. And, you know, we, we want them to know that. Now, have you had any clients that were like kind of reluctant to like re reach out and ask for help, but their parent would reach out and in, in their behalf? Yeah, so we get a we get a lot of parents who reach out and they say, "Hey, my you know my son, my daughter, they're reluctant to have this call. You know, what do we do?" And our answer is, we're not going to force them, right? It's their life. Yeah, we're not going to force them to live it. We're not going to tell them how to live it. If they want to, if they want to join the call, great. If they don't want to have a call, that's their choice. And if they want to try a strategy session and leave because it's not what 
they want to do, then just say thank you and I'm done. But, you know, look, Reed, we take this very seriously. Every human being is entitled to live his or her life the way they want to. And we're not we're not here to force you to be social. We're here to help the people who want to be social but don't really know how with the tools and the confidence. Now, how do you help those of us who are on the spectrum become more sociable? Because that's one of the skills I think we we fight with is becoming more social in the world. What skills do you attribute to helping those? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we offer, Reed, besides, um, you know, a free strategy session for families is our website has a free training, okay? And there's a reason why I say this, right? There's a free training for adults on the spectrum. There's a free training for parents and families. But what it does is it lays out five steps, right? Mm -hmm. Really sort of five things that you need if you're lonely right now and you want to be less lonely, be more social, right? Number one is you got to know what you want, because there's an old saying in Alice in Wonderland, right? If you don't know where you want to go, any road will take you there. Mm-hmm. You have to know what you want. And just saying, oh, I want someone who's nice, who'll do stuff with me, not enough, right? You, you can't plan a strategy around something so vague. So you really got to spend some time understanding what do I want my life to be, okay? And then you have to go out there and find where these people are spending their time, right? Once you know who you want, you got to start doing some research on where to go to find them. And obviously that's something we do with our clients, right? We call it finding your tribe. And then, you know, then you need to have a mental library of questions and answers and stories, right? Because so much of the anxiety that a lot of our clients on the spectrum feel is because they're worried they're going to get tongue-tied or their mind is going to get blank. And so having a mental library of questions that they can ask and stories they can tell and answers that they can give really helps them with the confidence to know, you know what? Getting tongue-tied and my mind going blank is not really going to be a problem. So step three is really having that mental library. Step four is really understanding what your strengths are. We call them superpowers. There's actually a difference between a strength and a superpower, right? A a superpower is a strength that you actually use in real life. Mm -hmm. But you have to know where your strengths are because it's very easy as a human being, not as an autistic person, as a human being to focus on what you feel you're weak at. Right? We're worried that other people are going to see our deficits. We're worried that other people are going to see our weaknesses. And so as humans, we tend to focus on what those weaknesses are, and it saps our confidence. And so it's really important to understand what are your strengths so that you can focus on that and how to bring your strengths into the real world and make it a superpower. And then number five, you have to have a mentor. The end, right? That's the secret. Because no matter how good your plan is, no matter how much confidence you have, there's going to come a time in your life, Reed when whatever that strategy is stops working. And when that strategy stops working, you're either gonna quit on yourself because you've been frustrated all your life, so you're gonna quit, or you're gonna spend weeks, months, years trying to figure out what went wrong. And so the much, much, much easier option is to have a mentor who knows what you're struggling with, knows how to fix it, and then you can get back to doing what you're doing. But you know, if I say this really humbly, If you look at any human achievement ever in any realm, there was a coach or a mentor behind it. Doesn't matter if you're Michael Jordan or Gordon Ramsay or, you know, you win the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter who you are. 
if you've succeeded at something in life, you've had a mentor behind you who knew how to help you succeed. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's going to take way too long to succeed, and you're going to quit along the way. Those are the five steps. Interesting. Now, what do you think is harder for those of us on the spectrum? Finding friends and keeping them or finding romance? I think we I think it's actually the answer is contained in something that we talked about before, which is finding and keeping and finding and keeping a true friend is three steps, right? It's three mm-hmm. things, common interest, mutual respect, equal, um, equal energy, right? Yeah. And a relationship dating is two things on top of it. You ask me, is it easier to find three things or five things? I say, if you, if you know how to find the three things, then you can go out and find the other two. So friendship, knowing how to be a friend is the path to knowing how to be a better partner. I think that answers the question in, in a way that's very real. I see that yeah, I looking just, at Lana. Yeah, I would just add to that, that you have friends that almost serve different purposes in your life and um, you can have different tribes. So there's just more opportunity when you're looking for a partner, you're looking for that one person that's going to serve your life. You know, you're going to do life together. So you might have your friend in a bowling league or that likes to play video games with you or likes to go hiking. So you have more opportunities to engage with different people um, in different ways. But when you're looking for that one person that you're going to spend your life with, I think it's, you know, it's just trickier to find that, that, you know, your other half. And I think Alana, if I can just step in, Rita, I think Alana brings up something really important, which is that, you know, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend is, it is what it is, right? It's, it's someone who you're romantically involved with and you're building a life together. Alana alluded to the fact that there are different kinds of friends. And mm-hmm. very often when people come to us, um, they say, well, I don't have any friends, but fr- they're right, different kinds. And it's really important to know that, right? There's best friends, right? Those are people that you spend a whole lot of time with. Mm-hmm. There's regular friends, which are people that you spend some time with. There's casual friends, which is people who you see from time to time. Then there are acquaintances, right? Which are just people that you know. And then there's, you know, online contacts, right? So what Alana is saying is, there are lots of different routes to these different kinds of friendships, which I think probably does on some level make it easier to, to find those um, because a, a relationship, a romantic relationship is, is one very specific thing. Yeah, that I understand because I mean, everyone's got their group of friends. You have a group of friends you play games with, like you said, you have a group of friends you do this with and this with. Now, do you think, Lana, you can find someone can find someone within one of those specific groups that just clicks with them and they can just build that bond with each other even deeper? Absolutely. I think when you become part of a community, become part of a tribe, you get to know those people within that community on a deeper level. And we have one client that um, met his girlfriend in a hiking group and just going to the same place. They formed that connection and ended up dating each other. And not only that, he actually found his best friend in that community, too, who was not his girlfriend. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the show love on the spectrum i had interviewed one of them and he had met his girlfriend from the show but they both had bonded over the fact they both love animals so yeah i mean 
because one of the elements of a romantic partner is having a common interest. So it's much easier you're, uh, when you're going to a place where you share a common interest with somebody, you're going to have one of those elements automatically in that person. So that's one of the components of, of your romantic partner. Yep. Now, what is your feeling about opposites attracting? Do you think that's, that just makes it harder if someone's trying to find somebody who doesn't have the same likes as them? So it's really important to appreciate, read that that partners are always going to like different things. Okay, I love hiking. Alana doesn't like hiking. <laughs> Alana loves Pilates. There's no way I'm contorting my body that way, right? <laughs> I love jam band music. Alana does not. She likes something totally different. the The fact that we don't share every common interest is actually what makes life enjoyable because she gets to try some of the things that I like. I get to try some of the things that she likes, but we also have the things that we both like. And so I don't love the phrase opposites attract because what does it really mean to be an opposite? What we think is important are those are those five things. And we're going to layer on top of that, that being able to communicate well with each other is also really important. Um, but you know, if one person is attracted to the other and the other person isn't attracted, right, that's an opposite. That's not going to work, right? If one person really wants to, to, to have, have sex and touch a lot and the other person, because of sensory issues, doesn't, that's an opposite, right? That's probably not going to work. So, you know, being able to, to connect with each other across those, those five elements I think are really, really crucial. Yeah, I was just going to add on to that. I think there are some things that when you are opposites can be beneficial. Like, for example, I'm somebody who historically has been a late person. I'm always late (laughs) to things or I was. Jeremy, on the other hand, if he's not early, he's late in his mind. Yes, I'm always early. So we balance each other out in that way. So he'll, you know, encourage me to get moving a little bit faster and I'll help him be a little bit more mellow about being more on time as opposed to super early. So I think we complement each other in those ways that we can help each other with differences and find some common, common, you know, commonality and balance within that. I would argue, Alana, that that falls under the third element, or the second element, which is that we respect each other for who we are, right? And we work at the relationship. And absolutely, yeah. Now, how long are your sessions when you are with a client? So we work with our clients in a variety of different ways, and that's what's really cool about the program. So part of our program is uh, is daily modules where our clients learn the strategy about how to be more confident, who belongs in their life, how to find them, what to say to them. A lot of that is done in online modules. Those are like 15, 20 minutes max, because that's the limit for how much the human brain can can pay attention and absorb. Um, When we get together with our clients, 
uh, one-on-one in private coaching sessions, that tends to be more like 45 minutes an hour. And when we get together with, with all of our clients in our weekly community call, you know, our weekly community Zoom, uh, our clients really enjoy sharing with each other uh, what's been happening in their life and the successes from the past week. So that tends to go more like an hour and a half. So, um, you know, we, we, we are involved with our clients on a daily basis in lots of different ways and how much time that takes really depends on, on, on what we're doing that day. All right. Now, what is the one thing that you both can say that drives you both? You go first. I know what it is for me. I mean, just waking up every day and seeing our clients grow and live happier, connected lives. And when you see, when you see a person go from having zero friends and sitting in their room playing video games, Mm -hmm. and that is the extent of their life to then just weeks later, being out in the social world, connecting with people, having one-on-one hangouts, that's everything. Yeah, my my that's exactly right. And you know, one thing that I do when we meet people during our strategy session is, you know, I take some notes about what you tell me. You're gonna, you know, when you tell me how you feel that you feel lonely, that you feel frustrated, that you feel isolated, angry, whatever. I want to, I take some notes, right? Because I want to, I want to remember that. And then a month later, we look back on that. (laughs) Have you changed? Two months later, we look back on that. Have you changed? At the end of the core program. So 12 weeks later, we look back on that. And we talk about how much you have changed. Right, Because when someone has spent 12 weeks putting in the effort to be more confident, to be more connected, to be more social, life changes always, no exceptions that I can think of, right? And so I love more than anything being on a call with our client and their mom and their dad and saying, look how much you take for granted, how much life has changed. This is what your life looks like now. This is what you've been telling us. Let me tell you, let me remind you what you told us 12 weeks ago. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're lonely. You don't know what to say. You don't know where to go. Look what you have done in 12 weeks. Sometimes our clients cry. I was just about to say, I'm like, just personally, I've never been an emotional person. I'm not a crier. Haven't been until I met this community. And I would say on average, I cry Mm -hmm. weekly. (laughs) More than, like, that. more than that. Okay, fine. More than that. Yeah, yeah. Just, and I can say just, we are a very emotional group. It's because one of the things people don't realize about those of us on the spectrum is we carry our emotions on our sleeves. Yeah. I'm a big crier. I can watch a TV show, a vet show with my mother, and find out that they have to put a, uh, one of their beloved pets down after 13 years. And I'll sit there and I'll break down. And my mom will be... She'll be sad, but I'll sit there start crying. And my mom's like, why are you being so melodramatic? Yeah, I'd be crying there emotionally. Yeah. But these are happy tears. These yeah. are tears when you see somebody's life changing so drastically. And 
and even more so like watching parents see their their child who struggled for so long and now they're living a socially vibrant life it it's just you know that full body chills and eyes welling up with tears and it's just the most beautiful thing you can imagine yeah we had a we had a mom post something on her facebook account last week not going to say names i don't want to out anybody but um you know her her young adult came to us didn't know where to go was very lonely very frustrated and i would say what they're about 11 weeks in maybe 12 weeks in something like that and the mom's young adult went with one of our other clients to uh to an event and not only that took pictures with other people at the event took pictures with our client and uh, with our other client and posted it on social media and the mom po- you know posted that like my goodness i didn't even know my son was living a social life <laughs> and- she didn't know he was going to this event and she found out through social media and this was a kid who a young adult who didn't have friends before and now he's out hanging out with other people it means everything to a parent and and it means everything to us to watch that and be a part of it yeah i mean yeah i mean it's like my mother watching me grow i used to sit at home play games all the day and all of a sudden here i am venturing off onto my to a conference for podcasting and even before that i think the biggest shock to my parents was the fact that i went away to school in europe for a year and then I traveled on my own for six weeks. I mean, that's something you don't see in the community is Absolutely. taking this huge risk. And this is one of the things I talk about a lot is in the community, you need to take a risk. Otherwise, you're going to sit at home, be sheltered all your life, yeah. not find the people, not find your passion. And I fell in love with travel. And, and I say, one of the things I say is you don't have to take the risks I do. That's a big risk. It's a gamble. You can do small things, try a new restaurant, go to a museum, bring a friend with you if you're not comfortable. But life is about risks, especially if you're autistic, because if you, because most of us who are on the spectrum are introverts and they're scared to step out and explore the world. I think your use of the term risk is really interesting, you know, and I, and I say that because I come from a banking law background, right? When mm-hmm. you are a lawyer for a bank, everything that you think about is in terms of risk. <laughs> and so in some, in some ways, right, the whole, the whole purpose of working with people like us is to manage risk, right? And to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. We take, we, you know, one of the big risks that, people in the autism community run is being exploited. Yes. Being exploited financially, being exploited emotionally, being exploited sexually, right? Exploitation is a real risk. And so having the the social skills and having a mentor um, is really, those are essential parts of managing that risk and mitigating those risks. 
but also increasing the risk that you're going to enjoy yourself yeah, and increasing the risk that you're going to be in contact with the people who make your life feel amazing. Yeah. And that's why a lot of them mask because they're afraid to show who they are in the real world. Which and it's a shame way. because masking takes too much energy, man. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I know. And I've talked about this in great detail. What people don't realize is when you mask, you're hiding who you truly are. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it takes so much energy out of you. By the time you get home from pretending to be someone you're not, you're exhausted. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I've had, I've talked with parents who have kids on the spectrum and they, their kids will come home and they're like, don't talk to me for 45 minutes. And they go up into the room and they chill. Mm-hmm. And I've never masked my entire life. And I never will because I don't care what people think of me. I mean, there was a YouTuber who who um, responded to a comment about how do you deal with all the hate? And she said, mm-hmm. listen, if you, if you stop think, caring about what people think of you, the minute you stop caring about what people think of you is the minute you start living your life. And that's what yeah. I always go by. I don't care what people think of me anymore. You, I'll just keep living my life. Your thought, it's your opinion, your thoughts. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't stop me. And this is the way the community needs to start thinking is don't let what others think of you stop you from doing what you're doing. Keep doing it. Don't be afraid. I think it comes back to that second element that we've been talking about throughout this this discussion, which is mutual respect, mm-hmm. right? If if they don't love you for who you tr- truly are, is it really a true friendship? I'd argue no. They're in love with a not real version of you. Yeah, and that's like, not fulfilling. It's like what I've told my friend. He, he's so paranoid he's going to lose his boyfriend. I'm like, listen, if he loves you for who you are, He's never asked you once to change. That's a true friend. He's he's there for the he's there for the count. Love that. And finally, where can people find out more about you guys? So uh, our website is mybestsociallife.com. And you can find a little bit about me. You can take the free training. Um and um feel free to reach out to us. And uh, my email address is Jeremy at mybestsociallife.com. And Alana is I-L-A-N-A, Alana at mybestsociallife.com. And, you know, one thing that we do is when we respond to people, um, under our signature is the links to the training um, and uh, links to, you know, the podcast that we've been on and the column that we have uh, in a magazine and the interviews that we've done and you know we encourage people to really like get to know what our philosophy is and what our methodology is and ultimately if you want to talk about you know about what we see as the path forward for you and maybe working together um reach out to us for a strategy session um there's a link at the end of the training. You can email us again, it's Jeremy at mybestsociallife.com or Alana at mybestsociallife.com. And we'll find a time to get together with you and, and your mom and dad. And the three of you and the two of us will get together and we'll talk about what you want your life to be and where you're getting stuck and what we think the next steps are to fixing it. And those are the best ways by far. All right, everyone. And that was Jeremy and Lana from 
our best social life. And I'll see you in the next one. See you there, everyone. While the sky burned Getting high off of the fumes Feeling like the bombs Outside of flowers Me and you stay Watching through the glass As the moon came Body, soul, and hands Feeling truly Like our lives are movies I swear it's all a dream No need to be afraid But I just don't agree I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah. I just don't agree Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I love the way we see the world yeah. I just don't agree I love the way we see the world Right there Staring at the sun We spent our nightmares Falling in love I know you feel this I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah. I just don't agree Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I love the way we see the world yeah. I just don't agree I love the way we see the world I swear it's all a dream No need to be afraid Someday we'll fall asleep And won't recall thing Some believe there's no escape Like pain's poster But I just don't agree I love the way you see the world